Blog Talk Radio. Dirty talk of any kind might offend you. It's not the show for you. But you know that's why you tune in. Desperate House Switches is brought to you by the amazingly wicked one, the wonderful Dorothy Morrison of Wicked Witch Studios. Check out the sale while it's still going on. You only have a few days left. She's got the sprays, the oils, the candles, the coffin boxes. You need them. It's that time of the year. The veil is thinning. Come and get your stuff while it's still available because there's only a few more days. Please check out the social media page for wickedwitchstudios.com. Tell Dorothy Raina sent you. Okay. So today, class, we are going to learn about Black Cat Awareness Month and other good things. I have with me today Hannah Sobolewski and Barbara Stamante from the host of Black Cat Magic, and you know you've got to visit it, and it's got, we've got all the social media on the page, so check it all out. Hello, ladies. Hey. Hi. Hi. So what's going on? How are things at the house of Black Cat Magic and Binks is home for cats? Well, there's been a lot going on at House of Black Cat Magic this month. I mean, like a lot. Like Hannah and I are, um, um, we're not sure how we have survived the month so far because basically we have got something going on pretty much every single day. Yeah. Sometimes we have multiple events a day. Yeah. Um, so like on Fridays we're doing... Uh, Yes. Huh? Tell me about the events. Tell me all about the events. Yeah. So um, in addition to the normal things that we run, like coloring with cats and tarot with cats and kitten yoga um, in our uh, our madness, uh, we've added for the month of October, a uh, we do movie night every Friday night. Um, uh, the first time that we showed Practical Magic was uh, a fundraiser for Cat Fly Film Festival. Um, oh. And then on the alternating weeks, we did short uh, local short film night where we showed the films of uh, local filmmakers. Um, and then this Friday, we're going to do Practical Magic again. Mm-hmm. Um, what what else oh, yeah. what else do we have going on? And then Sunday we're doing uh, our one of our magical markets. It's essentially we just have a bunch of local vendors that come in, and you know they uh, you know we've got readers, we have people that make jewelry, anything witchy or cat or witchy and cat is acceptable, and uh, 
they just set up everything outside. We have a food truck, and, you know, everybody just hangs out, and um, we try to raise a little bit of money for the rescue. That's awesome. So how many cats have you have you uh, placed? We've adopted out 72 cats since we opened on June 4th. And That's then amazing. in the rescue... Yeah, it, it, it's a huge, it's, that's a giant amount. Um, so for the rescue as a whole, um, we've done 172 this year. In 2022, our, the, for the entire year, we adopted out 117. So we've already blown that number out of the water, and um, our goal is to get to 200 adoptions by the end of the year. I think that will be pretty easy for you. <laughs> you guys are doing amazing work. So talk to me about Black Cat Awareness Month. What's that all about? So Black Cat Awareness Month is essentially a month, uh, a whole month where I get to talk about um, every reason why, the biggest reason why I adopted or why I started Faces Home for Black Cats. Um, and it's pretty much that, you know, black cats are, uh, have a higher chance of being euthanized um, in a shelter setting. They have a higher chance of being brought to a shelter in the first place. Um, and, you know, we are doing our best to try to cut down on those euthanasias, especially here in North Carolina, where it's number three for the most euthanasias in the U.S. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of black uh, cats that are being euthanized here. So we're just doing our best to try to cut down on that number. And one of the things that we do, you know, in that time is we just let people know that, you know, hey, this is really a problem and it's something that, you know, you can help by fostering, you can help by donating, by adopting a black cat um, and trying to just kind of forget about, you know, these, uh, you know, bad, like, ideas about that black cats are bad or whatever. Just go and get a black cat. Go foster one. Go pet one at a cat cafe. Just go say hi to a black cat this month and, um, you know, just, Kind of think about that, um, you know, these guys are getting uh, euthanized at a much higher rate than any other cat, and um, just then you are then made aware. <laughs> wow. It's not surprising, though, that the number is higher here in the South. Do you think it's connected to the resurgence of satanic panic? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think that's part of it. Um, I also think that part of it is just the fact that, you know, uh, southern states typically don't have very, you know, really, like, animal-friendly laws and regulations. So um, it kind of just ends up being the default way of operating um, when it comes to having too many animals in a shelter and then just pushing to euthanize um, rather than working with, with rescues and stuff, which a lot of the shelters here do work with um, rescues, and they do their best to try to keep those numbers down, but we just need to do more. Yeah. That's so, true. I mean, funding, funding for animal yeah. welfare is, I mean, yeah. everywhere is, is a problem, and there are just more, ca more cats and, and dogs and, and other critters that uh, then they're, you know, I mean, the bottom line here is neuter and stay your fucking animals. Yep, period. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah. Do you find that people are still resistant to doing just that? 
Yeah, we we do. Actually, we do get a lot of people that, you know, whether it be through misinformation or just because of their personal preference, um, you know, they don't want to stay and neuter their cats, or maybe they, they do, but they want to wait until they've had a litter of kittens first, or maybe they do, but they want to wait until they're at least a year old, and, you know, all these things are, you know, um, not reasons to not get your animal spayed or neutered. Um, but there's things that we hear a lot. Yeah, I, I I don't understand the thought process, especially since, you know, there are so many instances where people get a pet and then they suddenly realize they're caring for a living thing and they don't realize that, you know, not that pets equal people, but those of us who love them um, obviously uh, – know that there's a huge responsibility. I, I don't get why people think it's to keep anything alive, quite frankly. We find that's a lot of the case, too, where people don't realize what's involved monetarily in taking care of a, a cat. I mean, one of, mostly what we see is people feeling like that when they, like, that they don't have time to take care of a cat. Um, and that's, that's typically what, like, when people come to try to surrender cats to us and stuff that we hear a lot of is, I just don't have time, or, you know, I work a lot, or, you know, I something like that. And that's normally the, the kind of story that we get. But, I mean, you know, there's a lot of other ways to uh, care for a cat than just, um, you know, having to just always spend all your time with it. You know, like, the, they're they're – they're very social animals, but they're okay if you need to go to work for eight hours and come home later, you know. You're, you're not abusing your cat because you have to go to work in order to buy the best cat food and take them to the cat vet and make them little cat hearts happy, so. Right. They don't ask much out of us. Is it recommended to get more than one cat? Absolutely, yeah. Um a lot of cats, if you think about, you know, just like big cats in general, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, cats that are, don't thrive or normally live in, like, a colony environment or, like, a pride of lions, you know. There's a couple of cats like jaguars and ocelots that are more loners, but um, cats are very social creatures, and a lot of times they, would, they really do like to have the, um, the, uh, the company of, a, of another feline companion. Um, rather than just having to deal with uh, uh, stupid humans all the time. So, um, I mean, my, my, always, my thing is always that if you're going to adopt a cat, especially if you're concerned about it being lonely when you go to work or anything like that, get two. Get two. They're really – getting two is honestly less work than getting one cat because then they have a friend that they can always play with and be around and they won't be alone um, when you do have to go to work or when you're going on trips or anything like that, um, you know that there's always someone that, you know, you're going to be able to interact with and, and feel at home and happy and satisfied. I agree. I think I think part of the mistake is not realizing what kind of, of you know, a being you're dealing with. And they're really social. You know, cats always get this rap of being aloof and, you know, to themselves. And they can be that. That's true. But for the most part, my interactions with cats have always been like, 
Sad surprise. We're all hanging together, and if you're not home, I'm going to go play with my friend over here because I've always maintained that having more than one cat. If I was going to have cats at all, it was a necessity to have more than one so they wouldn't get lonely. Um, I just think it's a healthy environment for a cat, and they're so easy to take care of. Aren't they? They're not really as much work as people make them out to be. They're really not. I mean, you know, it's 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 definitely you you have that the, the uh, it, it's another living thing that you're taking care of, and they have their own thoughts and feelings, and you know, um, and that's something that you just that you have to keep in mind. But it's really not that difficult to just you know keep a clean litter box and make sure that they're fed, and they'll tell you when to feed them. You don't have to worry about even, like, being reminded about that. You know, it's pretty much like they tell you exactly what they need and when they need it, and as long as you can follow their lead, they're good. So if folks are interested in adopting, what should they have already set before they even come to visit? So um, if people are interested in adopting from us, from House of Black Cat Magic, um, what they would need to do is they would need to go ahead and put in an adoption application on our website. That's linked on the Vinces Home for Black Cats website as well as House of Black Cat Magic. Um, but you want to go ahead and just submit an application, even if you don't know who you're interested in and you just want to like go in and kind of feel the vibes and see who comes to you, that's totally fine. You can just put in a generic application and just let us know what kind of cat you're looking for and your home life, if you have any cats at home currently, um, you know, if you have any children in the home, things like that are going to really help us to be able to help you to find the perfect cat for you. So submitting that application before you come to House of Black Cat Magic is not only just good for you, because then you can just go ahead and take the kitty home that you end up really falling in love with, but it's good for us because it gives us all the information we need to help to match make you with the right cat. Oh, wow. That must be an interesting process to match a person to a cat. What kind of personality traits are you looking for with the human? So the one thing that I try to look for with a human is, um, it, it, is no matter what human we're talking about or what cat we're talking about, is I want – uh, somebody that is thinking in the way that a cat would. They're thinking about the way that cats communicate. They're thinking about what that cat is going to need at all times or just sometimes. They're not like, you know, thinking about themselves and then the cat as just a secondary. They're actively thinking about that cat all the time and trying to do what's best for the cat. And that's the type of person that I look for. I want them to be thoughtful and be able to put themselves in their cat's shoes. And we do get a lot of that. We get a lot of wonderful doctors that walk in the door and they're like, you know, oh, you know, we do adoption photos before they leave. And, you know, one of my favorite it sucks because we don't get a photo that I can then flash all over social media. But one of my favorite things is when we go to get a photo and if the cat's not feeling it, the adopter that just adopted them is like, you know what, I think that the photos have some anxiety, so can we just get that and I'll just take them home. And I'm like, absolutely. Uh-huh. I love that. That's what I really look for. Um, and then obviously if there's a specific cat that they're interested in um, or if they have a specific situation going on, we try to really like cater to, to uh, you know, what, which cat we just really think is going to be perfect for what they're looking for. 
Yeah. Do you ever run into a situation where it, it just doesn't work out or you find um, a potential person that you're, like, not comfortable with adopting out to? Yeah, it does. It doesn't happen as often as people might think. Um, a lot of times, you know, be, being a rescue, um, a lot of people that don't, you know, maybe that have nefarious reasons for adopting or something like that, um, you know, a lot of times they're not going to want to put in an application for, for a rescue because they don't really want to be looked into that much. Um, so a lot of times uh-huh. what we end up finding is just kind of, you know, kind of random things that, you know, these people have, you know, decent intentions and stuff, but maybe there's just something that, you know, is a, is a policy, is something for us, you know, a policy issue, um, like, the, you know, they let their cats outside. That's something that, like, our cats are all indoor only. Um, we don't adopt out to, to homes that allow their cats to go outside. And, you know, the perfect example of that um, was a, a community cat that we've been trying to actually get to come inside um, for the last six to seven months um, with us, and she uh, got hit and killed this week um, by a car. So that type of stuff, you know, you can't need to come inside, and especially if it's one of our cats that me and my volunteers and SAR have spent months and months rehabilitating and loving and medicating and um, getting to know um, we want to make sure that they go to a safe home and that we're not getting a phone call later that something happened. Yeah, that must be so heartbreaking anytime you get a report like that. I would be devastated. Oh. But yeah. I also... It, it, it is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, no, no, no. It, it, it is. I mean, you, uh, you know, I mean, it's devastating when something like that happens, but, you know, it's equally devastating when a cat that, um, that's been in the rescue that we've all worked with and it finds its forever home, and then um, later it has some kind of health issue and, and um, you know, that, that could not have been predicted or seen in any blood work and then, and then passes as well. I mean, so... There's definitely, while there's a lot of joy in what we do, there's also um, just a, a lot. There can be a lot of heartbreak. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where, you know, when we're going through applications, you know, we're not trying to judge people. We're not trying to say, oh, like they wouldn't be a good parent or whatever. What we're trying to do is to protect and to find the perfect home for our cats. And, you know, we want to make sure that they're safe and that they're happy and that they're with people that think about them and, and their feelings and their thoughts and try to do their best for their cats. That's so wonderful. I, would, I, I have a t- attachment issues. I would see one leave, and I would just want to adopt all of them. It would be super difficult for me to do what you're doing. I, do you ever get separation anxiety when you've had a foster for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, I think, like, what kind of keeps me going is knowing that, like, you know, if these cats don't get adopted, then I can't save more cats. You know, I can't. I have a capacity. I've got a a cap on how many cats, you know, that that we can really hold in the rescue at at a single time. And, you know, if cats are not being adopted out, then they're also not being rescued. So 
that's kind of the way that I try to push through that. But there have definitely been cats that, um, you know, I have personally fostered that uh, really just were incredible cats that um, I had for a long time or, you know, they were in the rescue for a long time or maybe um, they were really sick when I got them and I nursed them back to health and then, you know, they go and get adopted and while I'm happy, there's always tears that day too. Yeah, I just, I, I, my heart couldn't take it. You're, you're so brave to just do this work. And I know people may be like, oh, bravery. Yeah, brave, because I'm, I'm such an emotional person that my heart would just constantly be broken, which is why I can't do what you do. It's, it's amazing. Um, and you have to actually love them to let them go, to, to let them have that wonderful home somewhere else. But, yeah, I would find that so, so difficult. So but how do you guys find cats, or do people just automatically bring them to you? Do you get calls from shelters? Who calls you to let you know that there are cats that, that need to be adopted? The shelters. Um, so, and, and this is something, actually, that I think people don't really understand, is there is kind of like a system in the animal rescue world. And the system is that there are shelters that are municipal shelters that have a contract with the government uh, in your area that they are required to continue in taking animals from the public. And so if you ever have, you know, a situation where you found an animal or anything, and, and you know, that's where you need to take it is to the municipal shelters. Because they also have things um, that, you know, they have to follow as far as regulations for, like, a found animal or something like that. And you just never know. Like, is this somebody's cat that they've been missing for months and months? And, you know, sometimes you might not know that until you get them to the shelter. And that's, that's the whole, um, you know, part of the, the municipal shelter is they are a public service. So you take your cat to the shelter or you take a cat to the shelter for a surrender and then the shelters then work with rescues for the rescues to pull cats from the shelter so that they have room to continue intaking from the public. Um, so because okay. of that, there is kind of like a pathway, you know, that, that, um, that animals that are surrendered uh, have to go through. So we don't typically take intake from the public. We will intake from the shelters who then intake from the public um, after we can give them some space. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I want people to be really clear that they are not to bring you any of their kitties or, or pets of any kind because that's not, that is not how this works. You have to follow the process. So I'm glad you said that because I don't, you're right, I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, and it happens a lot. And there have been times where we have taken in from the public very few times, but those have been owner surrenders in really just sad situations, um, whether the owner died and, you know, the cat is is being boarded somewhere because no one can take it or, you know, something like that. Um, you know, we have it helps people in the past like that, but for the most part, it is the municipal shelters. That is their job is to help you and to help the animals. And a lot of the shelters are just doing the best that they can, and they are trying to work with 
rescues to get those uh, animals out of the shelter and get them into rescue and into wonderful homes. Um, so, you know, as long as people just understand that, like, the shelters are there to help you and they're there to help the animals, and they're going to do their best to do that. Great. So for folks who are interested, how long is the process uh, from the point that someone puts in an application to knowing whether or not they are going to match to a lovely kitty? Yeah, so typically we ask for 24 to 48 hours to process an application. Um, sometimes we can do it faster. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer if we just have a whole lot of apps that have been submitted. Uh, but for the most part, you know, if you put it in, the day before, you're going to know, um, you know, uh, the following day uh, if you're approved or not. Oh, that's well, great. And is there a time? Yeah. I'm sorry. Start with saying unless it's on the weekend, because then, you, yeah, because then we can't call ah. the vet references and stuff. So sometimes it's over a weekend. Ah, okay. So basically, it's a good shot if you've got a history having had um, uh, a feline friend before and you have some kind of a vet that you are working with or have worked with in the past. So basically you can find out, has this, you know, have these folks actually taken care of their kitty. That's important stuff to know. You know, just like a child, you certainly wouldn't just hand the baby over to anybody without investigating who this person is. And it should be the same with our, our furry friends as well. So I totally agree with that. So let's say that we've got a situation where you are ready to match folks to, to their, their forever furry one. Um, what should folks prepared with at home before they even come out to, to see you guys? Yeah, so I think, you know, preparing at home, one of the biggest things is make sure that you bring a carrier with you. If you're planning or yes. or maybe not even planning, but you're thinking that you might end up adopting, you're pre-approved, you come in, make sure you have a carrier. We do require that the cats leave in a carrier um, because, you know, you get in an accident or something like that. It just keeps the cat safe in the car. Um, they don't like it, but it's good until at least they get home. So a carrier is a really important thing. And if you just fall in love with a cat and you just, you get approved and you're able to take it home that day, but you weren't planning on, on you know, doing anything like that, uh, we do have cardboard carriers that we sell for $10 um, that are just like temporary carriers, but try to always bring one with you. Um, and then the other thing is just making sure that you have space in your home to kind of, especially if you have uh, other cats or dogs or other animals, you want to make sure that you have a space set up for your new cat in your home before you even come to get them. Um, it's a really stressful thing. It's really fun. It's really awesome to adopt a cat. But for the cat, it can be a very stressful um, situation because they're going from a space that they that they have felt comfortable with, that they've been in for, you know, sometimes some of them months, um, some of them years, and then they're just being kind of ripped out of that space and taken into a new environment. Um, and it can be really, really stressful for a cat. So making sure that you limit the, you know, amount of time that they're in the car, limit the amount of time that they're in the carrier, that they're waiting on you, you know, just go ahead and have a space set up for them separately um, in your home so mm -hmm. that they can feel comfortable as soon as you get home. Um, and then the other thing is if you have other animals, 
and you do have to set up a separate space for them like that. It's really important that, you know, um, you keep them separated from your current animals until they get a little bit more decompressed from the adoption and from the ride in the car, um, and then you can start kind of trying to introduce them slowly. Right. And, of course, a litter box and, you know, hopefully food. Oh, yeah, all the essentials. <laughs> yes, all yeah, the litter essentials. box, um, food. Yeah, and also making sure that you have somewhere up uh, high for your cat to be able to get up. So a cat tree or, like, shelving on the wall that your cat can jump up is really great um, for them to have because a lot of cats, when they are brought into a new environment, in order to kind of soothe themselves, they will climb to try to get up high um, in, in order to kind of just, like, survey the area safely, right? Um, and so having somewhere up high for them to go when you get home is really important as well. That's right. So let me ask you, what do people not know about cats that they really should know? Because it seems like there are certain stereotypes for kitties that may or may not be true. Do you teach folks how to know what to look for, how to determine if your cat is happy, sad, aggravated, all of those things that folks generally don't know? Yeah, so we do have, when people adopt, we do um, send home like an adoption packet. Um, and in that packet, there's a couple of different things that we kind of have. The first one is um, how to introduce your cat to your other animals at home. And that is a step-by-step -step instruction guide of like what you need to do to make your new cat feel comfortable, make your, your uh, current cat feel comfortable, and to really like... Um, uh, maximize success in, you know, making everybody happy with the new situation, right? But another one that's in there, um, another thing that, that we include in there that I think people don't realize um, often and is often a point of contention and people call us afterwards, like, what's going on is it takes your cat time to adjust. They need an adjustment time. And it's called the rule threes is what we call it in the rescue world. The rule of threes is that it's going to take three days for them to calm down. It's going to take at least three weeks for them to start to get comfortable, and it's going to take up to three months for them to really know exactly where they're, what your schedule is, what the routine is, and to feel like they belong in the family. So giving your cat time to adjust is very, very important. And sometimes that's, you know, more difficult for others um, you know, for some, you know, other others, but we do get phone calls from people, you know, even sometimes like less than 24 hours after we've adopted out to them and they're like, hey, my cat's like hiding. What do I do about that? And it's like, just wait, right. just wait, just be patient. Let them have the time they need to decompress. It's stressful, um, but they will come out. They do love you, I promise. You know, they just need time. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. I've, I've never seen a situation where a cat did not hide at first. Um, so, yeah, definitely. It's not a rejection of you. It's just acclimating to a new environment is kind of scary for anybody. Just kind of think about how you would feel as a person in that situation. You know, again, it's right. thinking about what, what, your, what your cat is thinking. You know, how would you feel under these conditions? 
Like, do you have recommendations on introducing Kitty to a, a, a small person, um, a child? Yeah. So we do have um, one of the, the workshops that we do here every week. We do it on Sundays. Um, uh, every Sunday is called the Kitty Cat Etiquette Workshop. And that workshop is really cool. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry. Our uh, animal communicator, uh, Shifra, is the one that teaches that class. And um, it's essentially, it's essentially a, a class for us to teach younger children how to appropriately um, handle and uh, interact with a cat. And so when you are introducing your cat to your new cat to uh, your child, it's really important, again, to think in the eyes of the cat, all right? Just be like, okay, this is a tiny person that is bigger than me, probably, um, in most cases, um, is loud, is, be, you know, waving their arms, running around. Of course, the cat's going to hide. Of course, they're going to feel, you know, um, stress. And so you have to think about what's the best way to communicate with your cat that, you know, this is, not, this is a safe person, and the best way you can do that is to teach your children how to appropriately work with animals. And doing that, um, you can try things even like we uh, offer um, all of our people that come in, um, all the kids get to bring home uh, like a homework worksheet where it's a drawing of a cat and there's different spots, uh, like sections of the body that on the cat that are like uh, drawn out and the child gets to take it home, and then what they do is they try to pet the cat in one spot, and if the cat reacts in a positive way, then they can color that spot green because that's the place that their cat likes to be petted. If they don't react in a positive way, they can color it red. So we try to do things like that where we tell, you know, especially people with kids, um, you know, like this is what you want to look for. You want to look for, um, uh, you want to make sure that you're giving space for the cat that you're not just forcing them upon, you know, uh, with this child that may or may not know exactly right. how to interact with the cat. And then you also want to make sure that you're kind of coaching your child in that moment and be like, you know, explain to them that it can be overwhelming for the kitty. And I'm sure there's been times when you have been scared, you know, and you can think about maybe that you have a little bit of empathy for this kitty because this was really scary and I went and just got him from this place and I put him in a box and I took him in the car and then now we're here and then maybe it's not so great that you're running around. Maybe you should sit down. That would make him feel better. Maybe you should kind of be calm. You need to be calm. Like, so just making sure that you're coaching your child a little bit um, so that your cat feels really comfortable and safe is super important and it will ensure that the two of them can build a, a deeper bond later. That's brilliant, because I really think people make assumptions about what animals can tolerate, and I don't know if enough care and thought goes into it when, when thinking about adopting. So it's brilliant that you guys have these places for, I mean, and it's not just kids. I find a lot of adults don't really know um, enough. You know what I mean? Oh, um, yeah, I for sure. Yeah, I, I've seen people go to pick up a cat in any sort of kind of way, and what are what what is the proper way to actually lift a cat off of its feet? Certainly not by scruffing it, because um, 
I've, I've seen people do it, and it freaks me out. Is that, am I wrong? Am I right on that? <laughs> yeah, so um, the best way to pick up your cat is the way that it is most comfortable with. And um, that kind of varies for different cats. Um, just like, you know, humans, we like to sit certain ways or lay certain ways or relax a certain way. Um, but the biggest thing is you want to make sure that your cat's body is fully supported and that their spine is supported. So um, the way I yeah. usually do it is I try to, you know, um, wrap around um, underneath their front arms and then also hold their butt so that, you know, their whole body is being supported. And that can be, you know, holding them kind of like you're going to burp a baby if, or you can even kind of hold them um, like a football you know, kind of underneath your arm with both, you know, with your hand all the way underneath the chest um, so their whole body is supported. And some cats just like to be picked up in different ways. But things like that I see a lot of people do is like holding them like a baby where they're on their back. Um, cats do not like that. Um, they oftentimes yeah. will, you know, if, they're, if their owners do it enough, they will end up tolerating it. But it is not really um, something that you should do with a cat. They're, um, it, it's, it's just not their preferred way of being picked up. And certainly not by the back of the neck. Definitely not. Um, even in rescue, I mean, the only time that we would ever scrub a cat is if it's like a feral cat that is, you know, potentially going to harm itself or others. Right. Ooh, yeah. I, every time I see someone do it, I just get I get cold chills. It's like, no, don't do that. It terrifies me. Oh yeah, and it, it is cause, awful. It's, yeah, it, it can harm the cat, right? Correct. Yeah, you can actually hurt the cat by doing uh, doing it too hard. And the other thing too is that, like, you know, the reason that response exists and why they, you know, they tense up when you when you uh, uh, pinch the back of the neck is so that the mother cats can easily, more easily move them as kittens, and so she will pick them up on the back of the neck, and the cat's not, you know, the kitten isn't, like, writhing around in her mouth, right? So it's easier for her to carry. Right. But with humans, um, you know, mom, mom cats know exactly how much pressure they need to bite down in order to get that response from their kitten, but humans, we often don't. And typically when a human goes to scruff a cat, they're doing it way too hard, um, and it can be very painful. Yeah. How do we interpret what our cat is thinking through its tail? Can you give us some tips and tricks on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things um, that we look at when we're talking about cat behavior is we look at tail positioning. Um, so one of the things, like, for instance, let's say you bring a cat home, you just adopted, and you let the cat go in your house, and um, you notice that, you know, the tail is down between the legs. It can sometimes even be pulled all the way under their belly. Um, you know, that's a cat that is very scared, that is really overwhelmed, that is not feeling safe. Um, you get a cat, and then let's say you do, okay, I'm going to put him in the bathroom for a day, and then I get him to feel a little bit more comfortable, and then, all right, let's try to put him out in the house now with all the other animals. Um, maybe the next day the tail isn't completely tucked under, but it's definitely not upright. It's still low to the ground. 
you might notice that their body is even lower to the ground. Um, they kind of like slink around. Um, again, that's a nervous cat that is not comfortable or feeling safe in whatever space it is. If you see their tails, um, you know, let's say you do it a little bit longer and you, you keep them in there for, you know, three or four days, you let the smells get a little bit, you know, underneath the door, all the cats in your house, and then your new cat can smell each other under the door, and you kind of follow the, the Jackson Galaxy method, as it's called, um, and you let them out, and then to introduce them, what you might see is a tail that's upright. And if it's upright, that can mean normally that they're feeling somewhat comfortable, they're a little bit nervous, but they're still going to kind of go out and kind of check it out. And then if you get a cat that sometimes this is just the cat's personality, um, you let that cat back in, um, you know, you've done the full Jackson Galaxy introduction method, you've done everything right, you bring your cat out, and that's a very confident cat, and they'll have almost like a hook shape where their tail is hooked around hanging over their back. That's a really super confident cat. That's an outgoing cat. That's a really comfortable cat. And that's a cat that just wants to see what's going on, and they're excited, and they're having a good time. Wow, that's cool. I, that's great information. So when, unless the cat is in danger, when you absolutely do not approach or touch the cat? Um. So not approaching or touching the cat. One of the things that you want to look for is if they're just kind of sitting there, um, you want to look at their ear positioning. You also want to look at their tail positioning. Um, if they're sitting there, you're going to want to notice things like if their tail is twitching, you'll see like a little flip. Um, a lot of times that flip is that they're alert and they're paying attention to what's going on. Um, but it can also mean that they are feeling, they have to be alert because they're feeling a little bit you know, intimidated or, like, something weird going on that they don't like. Um, but then the other thing yeah. you really want to look at is their eyes and their ear positioning. Now, ear positioning, if their ears are forward and they seem like they're paying attention to you, um, they're almost like their ears are pointed in your direction, um, that's a really confident cat that's feeling really uh, gregarious and wants you to come and say hello. Um, if the ears are back or pinned down to the side of the head, that's what I call airplane ears, and um, that is a, a very unhappy cat that is probably going to try to attack you uh, if you approach. Uh, and then the last thing is the eyes. The eyes are, uh, you want them to be, uh, you know, pupils not di not super dilated. Um, you want them to just be, you know, half-slitted if possible, um, and then that's kind of what you're looking for. If their eyes are wide open and they have huge pupils, um, you are prey and they are going to attack you. Um, so always be on the lookout for that. And then always making sure that you ask for permission before you approach a cat is really super important. So if you see a cat and you want to approach, I always try to do the slow blink method where I go up, I get a little bit close, I kind of turn my body to the side so that they know that I'm not there trying to stalk or attack them and I'm a little bit more, you know, comfortable with my body language. I will not look them in the eye. I will typically look down or right at their feet, and then I might kind of look over and do a slow blink, and then if they return that blink, then I know that cat is okay with me approaching. Wow. That's very good information. I don't think a lot of people know that. I see a lot of people 
you know, when they're introduced to a cat, just want to bend over and, and not through any malice, but just want to, to kitty up. And kitty is, deserves a little more respect than that is what I'm hearing. Uh, perhaps uh, a, a better approach is to go slowly and perhaps even sit down uh, on the ground to be as close to the cat's level as possible. Does that also work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of times when I'm approaching a cat that is just out and about, I will uh, always get down on the floor. I usually get on my knees, and like I said, I'll turn to the side because cats oftentimes, that's kind of how they'll show you that they are comfortable is they might turn their body a little bit off center, um, and it kind of just shows that they have a little bit more trust for you. So I will do that in response, or, or well, I will do that first to show them that I trust that they're not going to hurt me. And then on, on the same level with that cat, do the slow blink, maybe even hand, put out my hand to see if they want to sniff, and then, you know, go off of what the, the response is. Yeah. That's very good. I mean, I, I've actually learned a lot, and I'm pretty old, and I've had cats. So I, this information is, is fantastic, and I'm so glad you're teaching people about cat behavior and what our behaviors should be um, in response to a cat. I think people get a little bit intimidated themselves and a little bit freaked out when, when the cat is not immediately friendly. Um, I, I'm so glad you're here to tell folks, no, 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 don't misinterpret. It's the cat's fear and just trying to acclimate to what's going on. It's not necessarily a rejection. And sometimes, like people, Cats just need some space to get used to, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, something else that, yeah. that we should probably talk about is how to tell whether a cat is feral or not. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. a lot of times I think there's a lot of confusion about um, uh -huh. what the difference between a community cat and a feral cat because um, th there are some significant differences in that. Um, you know, one, one of the things right off the bat, and I've learned a lot of this just from working with Hannah, uh, is that uh, a feral cat will not make eye can contact with you. Um, and, in fact, they're, they don't want, they're, they're not going to be comfortable around people really at all. They may come and eat from your feeder, but they're, you know, they're not looking for scritchies or, they, you know, they don't want to be, they, you're a threat, basically. They see you as an apex predator and they're going to avoid you and they're going to avoid contact. Um, you know, I mean, just like they're, even if you, even if you were to encounter one, like in an area where it couldn't quite, you know, fully get away, it's going to exhibit like all of the signs that, uh, that Hannah talked about earlier with, you know, either, you know, pulled back or pulled down ears, ears flattened out, uh, may even growl at you. You can see tail lashing, definitely tail twitching. It's going to maintain a close-to-the-ground posture, and it is not looking to make friends. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and some of those cats, too, there's a, there's a, there's a third kind of um, – status that we use in rescue, which is fractious. And so a fractious cat is going to is going to show all of those those signs. Um, they're going to seem like a very angry cat uh, because they are. And they're fractious, 
is the, is the term for it. So they're just upset about the situation that they're in. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not a friendly cat, but they're very unhappy with whatever's going on. But when you have a feral cat, uh, they could react in a fractious manner, but they could also just completely shut down. And what you'll see with that is exactly what Star was just saying, is they will pretty much try to just make themselves invisible, and they won't look at you in the eye. They will have their head down, and they will make their body as small as they possibly can um, in the hopes that you somehow can't see them. Um, and then a friendly cat, you know, we all know kind of what a friendly yeah, cat is like. Yeah, we, we definitely know what a friendly cat is like. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times yeah. there, uh, there is also misunderstanding in that. You know, I mean, sometimes you'll have a cat that comes around and is very friendly and it's easy to think, oh, well, this is somebody's cat. And, and most of the time you're probably going to be, well, I, I would say at least half of the time you're going to be right on that that it does have a home somewhere, but also you can have a cat like that that, you know, its family has moved, um, you know, or it's like, I mean, we've had several cats in the rescue just since we've been here that, you know, the the owner died um, or went into hospice care, and so, you know, the, the cat went to a shelter, um, you know, or the cat has a condition that the owner can't afford to take care of, so it gets put out on the street, basically. Mm -hmm. And that happens more often than, you know, than most people realize. So you can have a, you know, a cat that is friendly and is really, really hungry all the time is probably doesn't have a home. A cat that says, oh, cool, let's get some food out for me, and then comes by every other day or even every day, but doesn't eat all the food, that's a cat that probably has someplace else to go or is being fed by multiple people. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, not all, not all community cats don't have homes, but um, what do you think, half of them probably don't? Uh, honestly, there's a lot. Of, there's a, a huge overpopulation of cats right now just in general, and a lot of them are community cats that were born outside, they stayed outside, and they are still outside. Um, but it's always really important, and it kind of takes back to, like, the show of, you know, if somebody's cat is missing and you're seeing a cat outside um, and you're not sure if it's a community cat or not, but it's friendly, and you're just, it, just take it to the shelter because the shelter does have protocols that they have to follow with the state to try and reunite that cat with its owner. And so if you're just really not sure, just go ahead and take it to the shelter. And who should folks call if they find a feral situation where they want to uh, make sure that the cats are taken care of but they can't really approach because the cat is feral? Yeah, so there's it, it kind of depends um, on, the, on wherever people are, you know. I don't know all of the organizations um, everywhere, but one of the people that I always call if I have a feral situation is uh, there's an organization here called Friends to Ferals, and um, Nancy is the, the lady that runs that, um, and she is actually uh, been handling feral cats and feral colonies, um, and she will trap a neuter and turn a feral cat can handle them uh, in the most fear-free way possible. Um, and then she also can help you with trying to find somewhere for that cat to go or um, getting them fixed and returning them or, you know, anything that you might have questions. And she also offers food 
um, and um, medication and things to caretakers for people that would like to care for a feral cat or a feral colony outside. So I would always just, you know, go on Google, search for TNR, that's trap, neuter, release, um, and in your area and see what comes up. Great. So in the few minutes we have left, go ahead and tell folks again about your events that are coming up. Okay. So, um, so starting tomorrow, um, we have um, movie night, and we're going to be showing Practical Magic. It starts at 7 and runs until about 8.30 or 9, 9, I think. Um, and then on Saturday, we have Coloring with Cats. We have, oh, Coloring with Cats Kitty Edition, yes. right? Um, oh, and every day this, this month, we've done uh, Black Cat Facts. So at different times throughout the day, we tell people what the Black Cat Facts of the day is, and if they follow us on social media, we might pick the day that they were in and ask what the black cat fact was, and whoever responds first and correctly uh, gets uh, gets a special prize. Um, so that's going that's been going on all month. Um, we also have who's the reader tomorrow? Um, I think to, uh, the reader tomorrow is Elizabeth. I think. I think that's right. Yeah. But we have we have a reader pretty much every day that we're open. Mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. On Sunday, we have the Magical Market, yeah. uh, which runs from 12 to 6. We'll have vendors uh, here that are local and have all manner of wares and goods that are, that are witchy with a, with a serious cat bent. Mm -hmm. um, well, Kitty Cat Etiquette. Oh, yeah, Kitty Cat Etiquette is, is, on, uh, is on Sunday. We also have a costume kitten yoga where you can show up and do yoga with kittens in your Halloween costume. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're doing that on Sunday as well. Um, and then Monday we're doing a classic uh, witch movie Monday. Um, so we're going to be having, you know, uh, kids and stuff in the lounge. We're going to watch, like, Be Witch and other cool you know, um, kind of old TV shows that are just fun for this type of this time of year. Um, and then, of huh. course, Tuesday is Samhain, and we are having a huge All Hallows Eve party um, with, uh, you know, costume contests and um, vendors, local vendors, um, a trick-or-treat trail, bobbing for apples, a bonfire, you name it. We're going to be hanging out and all in the cat lounge, and the shop will be open late. Oh, that's awesome. You guys do so much. Can you give me a black cat fact for the day? Sure. I can. I'll give you I'll give you a good I'll give you a good one. So while there okay. are over twenty different varieties of cats that can have um, can be black. They may not always be black, but there are like 20, I think there's 22 different breeds that that can uh, that can have that can produce a black cat. Yes. However, oh. the only always black cat is a Bombay, which was created in uh, 1950, and Bombay cats are always black. Uh, they have little black noses, little black whiskers, little black toes, um, even little black claws. And they have um, 
a purebred will have kind of a round face, and they they often have coppery colored eyes, uh, similar to like a British short hair. Uh, but that's the uh-huh. only always black cat. Uh huh. Oh, very cool, very cool. I learned a black cat fact. That's awesome. So tell folks where the shop is and how they can get a hold of you and what your hours normally are. Sure. So we are at 841 Haywood Road in West Asheville, North Carolina. Our hours generally uh, are 11 to 7, Wednesday through Sunday, although next week we're going to be open on Monday and Tuesday, and then we will be closed on November 1st that Wednesday. Uh, on Monday, our hours are going to be, are we four to eight? or uh, No, Monday we're going to do uh, one to, to eight, and then Tuesday for Salon, we're uh, going to be doing four to nine is the, the purdy event. Yeah. The purdy, I love that. And how can folks find you on social media? Oh, we're everywhere. Yeah. We're everywhere. We are on uh, House of Black Cat Magic. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on Threads. Uh, TikTok. You, yeah. If you've seen recently, folks, if you've seen a video of a little black kitten in a pink harness with a with bat wings on making biscuits, uh, that's us. <laughs> so um, follow us on there uh, on TikTok, um, and we're also on YouTube. Uh, Threads, Instagram, and Facebook. That's fantastic. Hannah and Star, thank you so much for coming on and giving me a real education on cats and black cats. Well, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. Please consider adoption, folks, especially from a place like House of Black Cat Magic. Um, they know what they're doing, obviously. Just not a kitty mill of any kind. They are they are doing the work of the gods here. And I got to tell you, it is not easy, but it is certainly appreciated. Thank you both again for coming on. Well, it, it was awesome to be on, and, 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 and thank you. And remind everybody that they should get their pet spayed and neutered, or neutered, spayed whatever the case may be. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Take care of that. You don't want extra mouths to feed. Have your pets taken care of. Definitely. Big, very big message. Always important to do. Um, and these are the folks that can give you all the direction you need to get anything done. So definitely check out House of Black Hat Magic. Star and Hannah, thanks again, and we will talk again soon. Thank you so much yes, for having us, Rena. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. I'll be back tomorrow night for my belated birthday show, but it will be happening tomorrow. Uh, I will see you then with Dr. Deborah Burris. Until then, have a great night. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. 
Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.